0: Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, College Band, for uh, stepping in and leading while Rich is gone, while Rich is out. Uh, I don't know what you guys were, uh, like the older folks that are out of college. I don't know what you were doing in college, but uh, I would have been terrified to have stood before church and do that. So thank you so much for doing that and leading us in that way. Hey, the, the longer I get into the, the journey of my Christian faith, the more I realize the significance of the compound effect of spiritual disciplines, habits, and practices. Spiritual disciplines such as just daily reading scripture or prayer or acts of service or acts of love, I'm starting to understand more the significance of the compound effect. Now, what do I mean by compound effect? Think of your bank account, like compound interest, right? Small routine deposits yield significant results. Small routine deposits yield significant results. And the older I get, the, the more I realize how often we overlook that truth when it comes to spiritual disciplines spiritual practices spiritual habits we overlook it and then we get frustrated when we ha- hit a crisis of faith we get frustrated sometimes where we're where we faith stalls faith lags or and it might even feel like faith is non-existent or, or, or yeah we have the crisis of, of faith in life maybe the relationship is ends or the job is lost or the sickness happens and in those moments The faith that we thought would carry us through that starts to prove shaky and and uneasy. And when that happens, that's when the perception of your faith is meeting the reality of your faith. And and when it's not what you thought it was, all of a sudden all these other questions begin to pop up. Like, what's happened to me? Where did I go wrong? What's off? Like, this isn't the Christian life that I thought I was supposed to be walking through, that I thought I was supposed to be experiencing. And so if it's not what I thought it was supposed to be, then... These questions just keep pushing, and then maybe even one of them might be starting to doubt one's salvation. Maybe even starting to doubt uh, one's relationship with Christ. Well, let me say this, sometimes that doubt is warranted. I know this is a nice, encouraging way to start a sermon, but sometimes that doubt is warranted. I believe that there are many in the Deep South that, that know the cultural Christianity expression, right? They, they know the cultural understanding of our faith. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Like, you know the story of Christ, but there's been no genuine response to him, right? There's been no confession of sin, no trusting in his atoning sacrifice on the cross, no resting in his grace and love. And so uh, the, there's this errant belief, I, I think, that an errant understanding that when it comes to grace, many people feel like if they just know the story, they're fine, But their life shows there's been no genuine response to it. And I would say they're right to doubt their salvation. And maybe that's where you are this morning and, and, and seeing maybe this isn't something that I've genuinely responded to. Now, I don't say that to shame or to guilt. That's spoken out of love. That's a question that we need to ask ourselves because we want all to discover life in Christ. We want you to know and be assured of your place in God's family and, and your place uh, in the kingdom of God. And so we don't say that uh, to guilt or shame. We say that to lovingly to try to help one another. Know that we have connected to Christ and know the hope of His gospel. And so let me say this. If there's doubt about assurance of salvation, there's sometimes where that is warranted other times I don't think it is. There are other times where I, I think people, uh, maybe they, they can point to a season of their life where they know they've trusted in the gospel. They responded to who Christ is. There was confession of sin, there was trusting in Him for, for the sacrifice. But somewhere along the way, I, I think if I was able to kind of continue to have a conversation with you, or maybe you talk to me a little bit more about your, your journey with Christ, I, I think somewhere along the way you might begin to hear or speak to or, or admit to there was either a, a failure to develop or stopping altogether, cultivating different spiritual practices, disciplines, and habits. Because what these habits and disciplines do is it helps us to deepen our trust in Christ, and it strengthens the practice of our faith. So when the doubts come, and they will, you know, when, when the crisis of faith happens, and it happens in those moments, there, there can be, an, uh, there can we don't have to be, questioning the assurance of our faith right because we've developed those practices we've developed those habits on the flip side when there is that lack of assurance right when the crisis happens oftentimes that is there because it just feels like our faith is ineffective or it feels like our faith is unproductive or maybe it's not making the difference in our life that we thought it would or it's not making a difference in the lives of those around us the way that we imagined or hoped that it would. Over the past month, we've been studying the highs and lows of the Apostle Peter. And and we've seen where along the way where the gospel is not only something that that, that we need for our salvation, but the gospel of Christ also continues to help us be refined into the image of Christ, to grow in in his Christ-likeness. And today we're going to do that same thing, but we're going to do it all in one sermon, right? We're going to look at a failure of Peter, um, where where, uh, there's a failure in his life that damages his faith, even damages the faith of those around him. And then we're gonna look at what I would say is a success because later on in his life, Peter's gonna have to defend the church against a heresy that started to work its way in. And when he defends against this heresy, we're gonna see uh, Peter give instruction and, and, and principle and guidance to the church that can help those believers in that church and still help you and me to this day have assurance of our salvation. And it's in these verses where I do believe you can hear this command to make every effort to add to your faith Spiritual disciplines, practices, and habits, because again, these disciplines, they deepen our trust in Christ, and they strengthen the practice of our faith. So go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 10 through 21 is going to tell the whole story. We're just going to focus in on, on 20 and 21 at the very, very end of it. As you make your way there, uh, let me say this, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's David, I'm a teacher and pastor, thank you so much for being here, being a part of our community, this Labor Day weekend, hopefully all your teams won yesterday, if they didn't, there's next weekend, so that's spoken like every state and all Miss fan, right, and I got, I'll always leave the Southern guys out, I'm sorry if you're like gung-ho Southern, so, uh, but anyway, so that's stalling, just so you can get time to get to the text, uh, last week, and this is really where I should have gone, last week we looked at Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, uh, the apostle Paul shares uh, the gospel with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are a people that were uh, not born Jewish, not raised Jewish, and yet Peter is sharing the hope of the gospel with them. And in Acts 11, we see they respond to it. The door of faith is open to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells on their hearts and lives, and it's a dramatic chapter because it shows truly the gospel is for any and for all. Regardless of background, regardless of culture, regardless of where you come from, there is hope In Jesus. And it's a strong story in Acts 10 and 11, but we have it because there were some in the early church that took issue with what Peter was doing. There were some Jewish Christians that thought, no, this gospel is crossing a cultural divide that doesn't need to be crossed. And they, they thought that, that they, all the, the Gentiles needed to first convert to Judaism before they could trust in Christ. And so they took issue with what Peter's done. And so Peter, in Acts chapter 11, he's giving a defense. He, he's, he's telling them why he did it, how he saw God work, how he saw God move. And, uh, and it ends well, because at the end of Acts 11, these Jewish Christians, they see what God has done and, and how God has worked in the hearts and lives of these Gentiles, and they rejoice as well. Because they see God um, leading men and women to repentance, to find life and hope and join him. So Acts 11 ends on a really positive note. Definitively showing the gospel is for any and for all. And Peter was defending that, arguing for that, preaching for that. And so you would think that having that experience, watching that happen among the Gentiles, having to defend his position in front of these Jewish Christians, you would think that, that, that Peter would never be one that would fall in, in traps of, of racism or cultural issues that would threaten to divide the church. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Because in Galatians chapter 2, we see that Peter has started to revert, revert to some old habits, started to revert to some, some, some old customs. And, and we see that when he's among the Gentiles, uh, he, still, he would live like the Gentiles would live and, and just in that way kind of show that the gospel was for them. But whenever certain people with, with a Jewish background would, would get around him, then Peter would suddenly start to distance himself from the Gentiles and, and start adhering to this errant theology of a group of people called the Judaizers. Uh, the Judaizers were... Similar to those Jewish Christians in that they believed that one had to first convert to Judaism, but they, they went to like a whole nother level with it because they believed that one had to keep all of the Old Testament law, follow all the old rituals, all the old customs. You had to do all of that plus follow Jesus and that's what got you saved. And so the, these Gentiles, they didn't have a place in it unless they first converted to Judaism and followed all the ritual. And so they were the ones that, that were really pushing that pushing that heresy into the church. And, and so whenever they came around, we see Peter starts to, I don't know if he gets scared or what the deal is, but he begins to distance himself from the Gentiles. He doesn't fellowship with them. He doesn't hang out with them. doesn't eat with them. And that act began to show that Peter was was siding with the side of the Judaizers, saying, no, that their faith was not enough, that there was something else the Gentiles needed to do to be welcomed into the family of God, to have fellowship within the family of God. And so this was sending a message to the rest of the church, to the rest of the early church, that none of this errant gospel of the Judaizers is the right and true gospel. The Apostle Paul hears about this. And he knows that this is happening. And so Galatians 2 tells the story of how the Apostle Paul goes and goes and actually opposes Peter to his face. Um, not out of being mean, not being out of antagonistic, but out of love for a brother, out of love for the church. To tell him, hey, this is the wrong message that you're sending. You're sending a, a, really a gospel plus message that's off, that's wrong. And in Galatians 2, 10 through 19, you can kind of really get all, all the backstory, how, how, how Paul kind of defends this case. But then in 2, verse 20 and 21... Paul has a brilliant articulation of the gospel. And this is where we come in the text. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul's like, look, we've been crucified with Christ. We have to remember this. When When we place our faith in Christ... Or the, the death that was due us over our sin, the wages of our sin is death, the death that was due us over our sin, Christ experiences it on our behalf. So when we place our faith in him, our death is joined to Christ and his death. But also, the, the life, the resurrection of Christ, that is granted to us as well. So the life we now live, we live by faith in Christ who loved us and gave himself as a ransom for us. So what we should be taking away from this text is that our faith, our salvation, right, solely dependent on the work of Christ has done. Because if we could earn it for ourselves in any way, shape, form, or fashion, then Christ's sacrifice was for naught. It was was meaningless. It didn't have to happen. And so even if it was an additional thing, like these Judaizers were saying that, that, okay, it's there, that's part of it, it's part of the recipe, but you still got to do all this other stuff, that action, that thought, that mindset is saying, God's sacrifice of his one and only perfect eternal son on our behalf is somehow lacking and us and our flawed, finite, sinful self can somehow manage to fill in the gaps. God, you didn't quite get it done, we can fill in the rest. Right? That, that, that's essentially what that position is, is saying. Whenever you believe there's a gospel plus type of, of, of mentality, and that's what these Judaizers were believing. And so Paul is, is helping Peter see that error, helping him see that the, 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 the gospel that or the false gospel that, that Peter was starting to adhere to and lead people astray. And we see it that, that Peter's faith in this moment is shaky, it's unclear. And it's not grounded in the work that Christ had done on his behalf. You even see traces of of, um, the approval of man in his his faith. Because he lives among the Gentiles, but then whenever this group shows up, he begins to play to their perception. And so Peter is just, it's a failure here. It's something that's, that's off in his life. And so Paul is helping to show Peter his mistake. And the error that he's making, the mistake at the core of this, is treating the beginning of faith as something that you do rather than simply trusting in what Christ has done. The error here was the, treating the beginning of faith as something that you do, rather than simply trusting in what Christ has done. Because when when, that, when we fall into that trap, we're setting aside the grace of God for one's own work. And so that's the error that, Paul, that Peter is making in Galatians chapter two. Later on in Peter's life, Peter's going to be correcting a heresy that is, is threatening the church. But this time, the error... And I, I still think it's, it's both sides of the same coin and, and stick with me to be able to see it. But this time the air uh, focused on treating uh, the beginning and really the end of faith, uh, as ironic as that is, the, the beginning and the end of faith more on what you know rather than what you do. And so it was, it was all in all on the knowledge that you had. And I will say this, it's a cheap view of the grace that Christ has given and not understanding how the grace of Christ always leads to transformation, the grace of Christ always leads to action. The grace of Christ always leads to, to even a life of spiritual discipline, a life of spiritual practice. I want you to see it. Go to Second Peter 1, 3 through 3-11. Second Peter 1, 3 through 3-11. I can see some folks are starting to be like, uh, you've got questions about where this is, and you're leaning into this. That's good. That's right. So let's, let's get in the text, and we'll see uh, Peter kind of lead us on, on, on this journey of, of what, we're, what I'm trying to articulate this morning. 2 Peter 1, three through 3-11. Uh, in verses 3 and 4, I, I think you have an incredibly strong uh, assertion of the gospel of Christ, uh, that, that it, our forgiveness, our salvation comes from God and God alone. So you can see Peter's corrected. There's been a course correction in his life. He, he's not kind of following the Judaizer's way anymore. He's, he's back to Christ and Christ alone. Let's hear how he says it. 2 uh, Peter 1, three through 3-11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, okay, through his glory, through his goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." So Peter, in these two verses, Peter's letting us know, look, you have everything you need for life and godliness in Christ. and You have everything that you need in there for life and godliness through Christ, because it's all an expression of his glory and of his goodness. And so we just have two attributes of God that Peter's given to us here, but there's so much packed on those two. Because in his glory and in his goodness, we should also think that his goodness, that's his, his innate Goodness expressed in action. So that's love, that's mercy, that's kindness, that's grace that He has given in this, right? And so all these attributes that are part of God's character and nature lead Him to make these promises to His people. And again, we don't have all the promises listed out in Peter's epistle here, but God's Word gives us these promises, these great and precious promises. Promises like there's forgiveness of sin when we confess and trust in Christ. We're adopted into the family of God when we place our our, our faith in him. That we are given the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in the lives of the people to then lead and train and correct and rebuke and guide our steps to help us grow in the righteousness of Christ. Those are all the great and precious promises that we have been given. And again, not because we merit them, not because we earn them, uh, but they are all expressions of God's glory and expressions of his goodness they are promi- these promises are expressions of his grace that then as the verse says lead us to turn and participate in the divine nature now uh, before this goes off the rails, uh, he's not saying we're little gods, okay? it's not saying little deities or anything like that. That's just Peter's way of saying that, that because of these promises, it, the, and the Holy Spirit joining the life of, of the believer, helping us, guiding us to live our lives in such a way to where we are fueling into the work of the kingdom of God rather than pursuing the sinful, selfish desires of the kingdoms of man, escaping the corruption caused in the world by evil desires. Look, there is a ton of theology in those two verses that I just blitzed through. In fact, I like saw your faces like start to disconnect a little bit. So come back in on this because in these two verses that there's so, much, there's so much that's given because these two verses, again, have the basis for our faith in them because our faith starts with the divine work of God in and on our lives. The grace and the mercy that has been given, the kindness that he gives to us that leads us to trust and repentance, uh, that leads us to repentance and trust and belief And confession of our sin in him. But hear me when I say this: it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. That's the catalyst. That's the catalyst. That's the beginning. And here's my here was my errant belief of grace. And stick with me, hang with me through all this, okay? My my errant belief of grace was I basically thought, okay, I, I know the gospel. I know that my righteousness or my right standing before God is dependent on Christ and Christ alone. I know that my best works are, are nothing but filthy rags in, in front of God. All of that is true. All of that is right. All of that is orthodox. All of that is, is, is standard Christian doctrine. But here's where it went off for me. I know all of that. I know Christ, what Christ has done on my behalf. I know that you know, my best acts are like filthy rags in front of Him. So I thought, okay, well, there's nothing left for me to do. That he's, he's done all this, and so this, this grace means that I'm, I'm basically done. i can going sit back, claim that I have the right doctrine, and ignore if I have the right practice. What I fail to realize is that when, when we have the right doctrine, it's autumn, It's going to be expressed in, in, in a practice in, in, in living out one's faith. Now Now, hear me on this. Hear me on this. This is not... Um, Step two of salvation, okay, this isn't isn't saying that that Christ is somehow lacking. Again, Christ has accomplished his work. This is not the same mistake of the Judaizers that, that said something's lacking and we have to fill in the gaps. We believe Christ has given us everything for life and for godliness. But now in response to that, this is what we do. In response to that, this is what we do. And yes, there's something to be done. It's something that we're commanded to do. At Grace City, we've used this phrase to help us express this tension. It's a participatory grace. It's a participatory grace. Peter says it like this in verse 5 and 6. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and a goodness knowledge and a knowledge self-control and a self-control perseverance and a perseverance godliness and a godliness mutual affection and a mutual affection love for this very reason make every effort there's a striving here right there's action it is a call for ownership of one's faith you can't outsource this Okay, this isn't something you can give to your parents, this isn't something that you can ask of your roommate, of your brothers or sisters to develop this in your life. I'll even say this, this isn't something that you can ask your church to do for you on your behalf. This is you making every effort in your own heart, in your own soul, in your own life, making every effort to add these to one's life. And we see what he lists out. To add to one's faith, goodness, knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, mutual affection. Some of your translations might say brotherly kindness and love. What what, what I love in this list is there's a mixture of both internal and external. There's a mixture of internal... Positions or mindsets or heartsets towards God, like there's, there's growing in knowledge, right? There may, maybe perseverance would be listed in this as well. But then there's, there's also the, the externals about our, our, our goodness towards others or our brotherly kindness towards others or love expressed towards others. And so all of these uh, are... Um, I would say all these are practices that, that Peter is telling us to cultivate in our life. These are attributes that we are to develop in our faith and in our heart and in our soul. We're to make every effort to add these to our faith, and it takes time, it takes attention, it takes focus to develop these in one's life. But when they do, when they do, they anchor us, they ground us. It's like it's like the baseball player that has swung the bat thousands and thousands of times before he steps in the batter's box. It's the golfer that's out on the driving range before he steps into the tee. It is the weightlifter throwing the bar up a thousand times before he steps up to lift the bar. It is the kid on the soccer practice kicking the ball over and over and over again. What do those things do? They develop muscle memory so in the moment they can call on it. It is a natural reaction. These spiritual disciplines, habits, practices, they develop spiritual muscle memory force, if you will, that when the crisis comes, that, that, that when the challenge happens, or maybe the all-out spiritual attacks comes in full force, you are better prepared to weather the storm. Now, no false promises this morning. No false promises. Uh, you can have a robust and rigorous expression of spiritual practices and disciplines, and sometimes life will still hit you in such a way to where it will put you on your knees in lament and grief and hardship and heartache. I, I, I can't make that promise, but that, 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 that will never happen to you. But I can say this, in that moment, you'll still be better prepared to weather that storm if you've practiced and cultivated these disciplines than if you had not. And on the flip side... We see there, there's, there's a promise here too. There's opportunity, right? If we've cultivated these disciplines, they prepare us to seize the moment for the kingdom of God. When God positions you to be the one, to speak truth to power, to speak light to darkness, to speak hope to hopeless. When God positions you to be the one, to share the hope of the gospel with someone who's primed to hear it. When we've cultivated these spiritual practices in our life, it helps us seize that moment and participate in what God is doing. Peter says it like this, verse eight and nine. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. If you've ever been in a situation, or been in a, one of our worship service or something where i've shared kind of my story with god my, my, my testimony a bit this is a form, this was a formative passage for me uh this passage really helped to lead me out of a spiritual desert if you will that that happened really right outside of college and um when I went through it, I, I could see that one of my errors, very much so, was was kind of the legalistic approach to faith that these Judaizers had. Uh, I had made religion, I would made Christianity, I would made faith all about the rules, all about the externals, all about playing to the perceptions of man, and, and just forgot the grace of God uh, in, in my life. And it fostered pride, fostered self-righteousness, um, judgmental attitude, to be sure. Uh, but also, what those what, when, when you're playing to that, and it's that burden... That um, gotta keep the rules. Gotta be the externals. It, what you feel is this incredible sense of burden that I'm never gonna get there, I'm never gonna measure up. And so faith, you know, we talk about life and joy and hope found in the Christian faith. For me, that was just not what I was experiencing. It was drudgery, it was burdensome. It was, I guess I gotta go because I gotta fit this, I gotta fit this part and I've gotta play to this. And, but they're talking about life and hope and, and kingdom of God and, and seeing eternal things happen. And I'm like, I'm just not seeing any of that. And, and because I had reduced faith down to the, and set, set the grace of God aside, and and just saw this legalistic approach that was happening in my life and so that was like that was this uh, this text did help me kind of diagnose that but there was the longer I get removed from that season of life I also see another error that I was making and um and it's and I've already hit on it a little bit but even going through that season like I knew I knew a cheap expression of the grace of Christ I knew a cheap expression of the grace of Christ because, that, again, that errantly believed that, that, that once we say yes to Jesus, like, we're, we're done. Like, we don't have to do anything anymore because Christ has done everything. And so, uh, like, he has done everything, right? He has done everything that we need on our behalf. But I, I thought, okay, well, if, if he's done everything, and, 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 again, my works are like filthy rags in front of him. If, if, if he's done everything, then what am I supposed to do? I don't have to do anything. So what's the point of my faith? What's the point of me even being involved in this? And so I was realizing that, that I was making a really cheap version of grace, so much so to, to where I was ineffective and unproductive in my faith and, and to where I questioned my salvation. I was nearsighted and blind, forgotten that I'd been cleansed from my past sins. The reality of it all is I was not participating in the grace that Christ freely gives. And seeing how that leads to cultivate our, our life of spiritual discipline, habit, a spiritual practice where we learn our theology and we express our theology in the way that we love our neighbor, the way that we love the Lord, the way that we love those around us. And so I just abandon all of those things and when those aren't present in your life, when they're not there in increasing uh, measure as he said, then, then, then the crisis of faith happens or, or, or the questions come and, and then you just start questioning your salvation. Do I believe this is real? Um, I did at one point in my life, do I still now believe it? And all the while, you're just forgetting that the grace of Christ has cleansed you from your past sins, and that he has called you to live for him. <clears throat> these practices, what, what they can do, uh, these disciplines, these habits, they can help foster that assurance of salvation. Look at how Peter says it, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know this, God does not need any confirmation of your calling and election. God is perfectly sovereign, perfectly wise. He knows the measure of your faith. He knows the measure of your trust in Him. He knows the the, the measure of your heart. So who's the confirmation for? Right, like we barely know the state of our own heart and our own souls. And so Peter is letting us know, look, these are things that we can develop in our life, we can cultivate in our life that can help us us have assurance of our faith. As we practice these in our life, they develop spiritual muscles that begin to show up, that begin to take shape. They help us weather the storms, and they, they help us weather these seasons of life. And, and when Peter says, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, if you do these things, you'll never stumble, know this, he's not saying you're never going to sin, or you're never going to uh, make a mistake. That's not what's happening here. But he is saying here in this moment that, that Peter's saying, you won't go back to forgetting that you've been cleansed from your past sins. You won't stumble and fall away because you're participating in the grace that Jesus has given to you, and you're expressing that in your relationship to the Lord, and in your relationship with others. And so he's calling these, these, these believers, he's calling this church, look, we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. He's done everything. He's given us everything that we need. So now that he's given that to us, let's express it. Let's practice it. Let's put it into motion. And one of the ways that we do this is, is adding to our faith goodness, love, self-control, uh, brotherly kindness it's this list that he's given and, we, and then he articulates all these different uh, symptoms or side effects of it if you will so what do we do with this how do, how do we put this into practice how do we how do we actually do this you take your first step and for some of you, maybe the first step is, is, is responding to the grace that Christ has given, because maybe you are the cultural Christian. Uh, maybe you're the one in here that, that, that started to doubt your salvation, and you realize, hey, you know, I know the story, I know the gospel, I know what he's done, but I've never genuinely responded to Christ. I've never confessed my sin and put my hope and my faith and trust in him. Today could be the day that you take the first step. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you ha- your sins have been forgiven, that God has placed you, called you, and, and, and brought you into his family. Not because of what you have done, not because of, uh, of your past, or not, not because of even any promises you might be making towards, towards God, but because of his glory, because of his goodness, because of what Christ has done on the cross. When you trust in him, you can know that work is done on, on your behalf. And so that could be the first step for many of you here this morning. Still for others, the the, the first step could be maybe looking at this Peter, looking at this list that Peter has given and thinking, okay, which one do I need to focus in on first? Which attribute do do I need to do I need to build? Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe it's like, hey, I need to know more the, the doctrine, the tenets of my faith. Or or maybe it's hey, it's brotherly kindness because I know my doctrine so well that I use it to bully others, right? Like, I, I can be judgmental of others. So maybe for me, it's brotherly kindness. Maybe it's perseverance because you're just wanting to stop and quit and, and lay this aside. So it's looking at this list, seeing what attribute perhaps God is is, put, is is putting on the forefront of your mind, the forefront of your heart, prioritize that attribute, and then enact a plan to develop it, enact a practice to help you cultivate that discipline, cultivate that attribute in your, in your life. Now, there are, like, I don't don't know which one you might go after, but there are a couple things that we do at Grace City that I'll I'll mention that, that is just our best attempt to try to help one another do this. And it's our community groups and it's our growth groups. Both of those are environments that we have to help one another grow in our love for God, grow in our love for our neighbor. There are also places where we want to help one another, call one another to develop these different spiritual practices, these different spiritual disciplines. And so that could be a good place for you to start plugging in, checking out one of those. Or maybe if your group's not doing that right now, uh, right now then, then this week, that can be one of the conversations. Hey, how can we help one another develop the spiritual practice of prayer? Or of, of how can we develop the spiritual discipline of, of kindness towards others? Or, or, and so you can begin to have that conversation there. So another step could be finding a place of, of service uh, that requires broadly kindness, that requires goodness, that requires love to be expressed to someone who's different from you. And I'm not talking about finding a place of service in the church, although that could be one of them. Maybe you need to serve at your kid's school. Maybe you need to serve out on the ball field. Maybe you need to serve in the community. But when you put yourself in positions to, to give out, when you put yourself in positions to where you're going to have to re- require sacrificial deference and love and humility towards another, it's just it's, it's small, routine deposits that are going to yield significant results later in your life. It could be finding a place uh, to serve. that that can help you begin to develop some of these disciplines, some of these habits. There are times in our Christian life where we feel ineffective, where we feel unproductive. Um, There are times in our life when perhaps we second-guess our calling and our place in the family of God. And, And so I just imagine the change that might come to your life, imagine the change that might come to your faith, just imagine the boldness or the resolve or the, the solid foundation you might have if you said, God, help me to develop these spiritual disciplines and practices in my life because these are ways that we participate in the grace that Christ has given and it leads us to develop lifestyle habits that continually help us discover life in Christ and live the life that he's created and called us to live. So church, let us make every effort to add to our faith these spiritual disciplines because it deepens our trust in the promises of God. It it strengthens the practice of our faith. For God truly has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him. It is a grace that he has given and it is one that he calls us to participate in and to express in our relationships and in and through our life. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your mercy. Um, We thank you for the grace that that you have given, God, that it is one um, that that our right standing before you is not dependent on on our effort, that our right standing before you is not dependent on, on any work that we have done, but it is completely dependent on you and what you have done on our behalf, and you've called us to just trust in you for that. And so, God, we thank you for that expression of grace. God, we also thank you for the expression of grace that is not done with us at that moment. That you give us a work to do, that you give us a, a, a hand to play in our. Growth and our um, spiritual formation and our spiritual development that once we trust in you, Lord God, your Holy Spirit is in our heart and in our life and it helps us to make these efforts to add to our faith the attributes that we see in your word. So God, I I pray that that we are aware of the grace that you've given and how you've called us to participate in it. And God, I pray that we would see that and know that you have given us, you have made this instruction in your word that, that God, we do have a role to play in it, that we are to make every effort to add these two, Uh, to add these disciplines and habits to our life so that, God, it anchors us deep. It, It develops these spiritual muscles for us that are just a natural reaction in our life when we hit the crisis or when we hit the opportunity. So, God, we love you. We thank you for your word that guides and instructs us. God, may we respond to it honestly. May we respond to it in faith. It's in your name that we pray.